cool. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode here of Quite the Music. I am your host as always, Gary Morris. I'm joining us on this episode. I am very excited to introduce our special guest. It is the wonderful Brooke. How are we doing, Brooke? I am so good. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, people that are long-term listeners um, of the Quite the Music show will know uh, just how much of a big Eurovision buff I am. And in fact, the, the last episode we had, uh, the double episode with um, Jan from the Ultimate Steps group, uh, will know he, he <clears> was <throat> over in Turin, um, experienced uh, everything that happened for Eurovision 2022. Now, Brooke uh, was Ireland's uh, competitor for 2022. And throughout this episode, we'll be chatting to her a little bit about her experiences over in Turin um, and talking about her life in general and her very exciting plans for the future uh, brand new track Tongues, which has been never off uh, my iTunes since it came out a few weeks back. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. I think before we get into talking about Turin, um, people may well know you before that from being on The Voice a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I was on The Voice in 2020 and it was the year that they stopped because of COVID and then resumed like what, seven or eight months after. Mm. So that was a really cool experience. Like I got to live that dream for longer than most people. Yeah. And I think with The Voice, it's a show that's always been going on now over here in the UK for the kind of best part of kind of eight, nine years. But what attracted you to, to doing that show as opposed to maybe some of the other type of kind of pop shows, X Factor type stuff that, that's, that's been on before? Well, interestingly, I never seen myself as a singer. I actually loved acting and was doing a drama degree. I was uh, being doing extra roles in Dairy Girls and Game of Thrones and just really thought that that was where I would excel because growing up in an Irish conservative family, you find that your family are your harshest critics mm. and as soon as I started to sing like my like brother would leave the room or like different things would you know call like come together and you just felt like you were like in Ireland I suppose like pop music is is it seems like the unattainable goal and everybody would say oh it's the hardest that's the hardest career ever and what an awful industry and all this so you're kind of nearly scared out of it but my friend put me in for The Voice. We were, we were drinking actually in university and she saw it come through on her like mailing list for uni. And I was like, absolutely not, not a chance, not doing it. She applied for me and we got the email the next morning that they were in the university and they wanted to see me. And oh, I, wasn't, I still wasn't going to go, but it was in the edition was in the building where I where I get tutored so okay they call they actually called out is Brooke Scullion here <laughs> and everyone was like yes here she is and um I really wasn't gonna do it it was just such a it was really the the moment that kick-started my my dream and and you know nearly seeing it as a reality because I suppose when the voice happened I was in a room with people who were already established singers that were mm. going for the audition and they nearly didn't give you the time of day because you hadn't like you sell yourself short automatically before you went in for the audition. So yeah, it was a really good learning experience for me, and it grew. I showed it, you know, grew me into the like having this achievable dream, I suppose. 
Yeah. So how does it feel, obviously, doing the, the blind edition? Because obviously that must be quite terrifying to know that you've got, obviously, big names in the music industry who obviously can't see you or just basically judging you on, on how you sound. Um, and it must be quite a, a scary thing to do, especially if it wasn't something that you were overly experienced in having done before. This is where I am probably not, I don't, I don't have the general view that everyone else would have. I wasn't nervous at all. Like there was not a bit of nerves. There's a person that stands at the side of the stage before you walk on and they try and calm you down. And she kept saying, oh, I love your jacket and I love your eyebrows. And I was like, are you just saying this to me because you think I'm really, really nervous? Mm. I was like, that means that, that hurts more than it means good because you probably don't think that. And I was, and I was just like, please don't be worrying. Like I'm actually fine because I had no preconceived conceptions of, of how or predictions of how it was going to go. I never thought anyone was going to turn around. I knew the song back to front, so I knew that I was going to do a good job. I just didn't think that anyone would turn, and I wasn't going to be embarrassed about that because they don't show a lot of the people that don't get turned for. So yeah. I just wasn't expecting that. And when they did turn, that's when things started to go pear shaped because I hadn't planned on what to say or what to do when they did turn. So it was, it was, that was the scary part when they actually, when you see them, they look like wax figures from Madame Tussauds. Mm. And what was the thinking behind going for Megan Trainor's team? Because uh, obviously you got to pick because all four judges turned for you, which, which must be a nice feeling. So what, what's turned it for, for Megan to be your kind of mentor as opposed to the other guys? Well, initially, if you had have asked me before I went on stage who I was going to pick, I would have said Tom Jones or Will I Am, hmm. because Tom Jones is a legend, and Will I Am, his music is something that I admire. I think he's a genius, so that's kind of what I would have said. But when I was on the stage, it was a battle of head and heart. Really, my head was probably telling me to do uh, go logically with um, Tom or Will, and. And when Megan actually spoke to me, we resembled each other very well. Like I, I saw a lot of myself in her and she spoke to me in a way that I would speak to some, it's, it, I don't know, I just, she reflected a lot of the values that I have. And I, I picked her and just like last minute and I walked off and was like, wait, who did I pick? <laughs> I, it was just a blur. It really, really was. And um, Megan's actually so good. Like she's still in contact with me now oh, and good. that's what maybe... Yeah, really, really good. She's a brilliant, brilliant person and ally to have. And I think for obviously your kind of style of music, we'll come on to a little bit um, around your own material and stuff, but probably Megan musically was maybe the, the kind of best fit for you. Growing up in, in Ireland, what were your kind of main kind of musical influences? <laughs> My daddy has a lot to, like I, I owe him a big thanks and because of the musical knowledge that I grew up with. I grew up with oh, Dr. Hook, um, Tina Turner, Brian Adams, uh, The Eagles, nice. and Philomena Begley. These are like then the Irish country artists, like Big Tom, Daniel O'Donnell. Like it was of the biggest variety ever. And, you know, I just thought that these were the coolest people in the world because that's all I knew. Every Sunday we would jive and dance and go to the dances and it was just music was a massive part of everything that, that you know that makes me up and 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 it's when I'm happiest and you know you know yourself like music helps you get through different moments in life and 
different songs remind you of different things but music as a whole will remind me of my daddy because of how like how important he was and in, in shaping my knowledge it's like on when you did the voice obviously some of the, the tracks that you did how, how much say do you get in what songs you you get to perform or, or you get to do is it a bit of a collaboration between yourself and Megan the producers or uh, is a lot of it very much kind of structured in terms of no this is what you're going to be doing everyone else every other judge they had maybe a team that would give the songs that's look that's just how it is but Megan, it was her first time there. She wanted to impress. She would call me into her room and sit and chat with her. Like, it was just her. And her husband is uh, Juni Cortez, as in Spy Kids, who, like, I'm not even joking. His name is Daryl Sabara, but um, I fancied him as a child. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. Yeah, I know. So they were sitting eating burgers, being like, yeah, so what are you feeling? Who do you love? Like, musically. (laughs) I'm like, um, uh, no, it was brilliant. Megan was very proactive. But then what happened was uh, Megan got pregnant and with COVID, she couldn't fly over from the US. Mm. So she basically just gave me complete freedom. It was like, pick what you want. She goes, I trust you. I I know that you are capable of picking what you want. Like, tell me what you're, what you're thinking of and I'll sign off on it kind of thing. She was just voice noting me this. And I kind of thought at this stage, I was like, realistically I don't want to nearly win this competition because there was those contracts that you can get tied into with tv can be quite strict like strict and and limiting I would say and I I wasn't too keen on that so I kind of I went selfishly and did every genre possible so I did pop the song with Ella Air I did rock which was the Stevie Nicks song Edge of 17 I did. I actually had a country song for the final, but I didn't get to sing it, which was um, annoying. But I didn't like the production of it anyway, so I think that that was kind of out of my control. Okay. <laughs> um, there, but then, look, there's a lot. I had a brilliant time. The voice is honestly the best thing I've ever done. But you, you just have to, you just have to learn how to play the game. Essentially, I learned a lot from it from the experience, especially when I was making my own decisions. Nearly, people were. Were, like certain people were saying um we worked with such and such and we know best kind of thing mm-hmm. and I was like right well that's all right but you're not the one singing my name has to go on this sure. so yeah it's right learning stand up for yourself as well and do you think there was maybe a reason why artists that have came out of the voice have maybe not quite been as successful as maybe some of the kind of x-factor stars of kind of yesteryear I always feel with the voice they spend so long in the series picking their teams and you get invested in it and then once the teams are picked it's bang 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 they're out and the season's finished and to me that always seems as if they're not really giving the artist time to to build up a fan base because you're spending six seven weeks picking them and then you're just getting rid of them really quickly I think it's it's a bit backwards for me in terms of how the show is structured I think the, the, the additions, obviously that's the, the gimmick part of it, but they don't really give you an awful lot of time to build up an audience once they've actually got you in their final 12 or their final nine or however that, that, that's looking. Yeah, I actually agree with everything that you just said. There is not enough time to establish a, a rapport with any of the acts. And I spent a lot of time with the other contestants and I wasn't allowed to say in interviews 
oh, I'm really friendly with them because there is no time to shut us through that relationship and people mm. wouldn't understand it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think the selling point for the show is the blind auditions. Yeah. After that, I don't know. I don't know what they're not doing anything wrong. The show is brilliant, but I do agree with you that the it's hard to get success after the show because it's all about the voice. And in this day and age, in this current climate of musicians, you have to nearly be an all rounder. Mm. And like I in the Eurovision, obviously, I got to dance and I worked really, really hard at that. But I wasn't allowed to do any kind of performance in the voice. It was all literally all about the voice. Like I wasn't yeah. allowed to do any show or performance but like I suppose that's what it's what it's so authentic for but then again like it does limit you in other in other areas sure um and obviously how quick then was it between you finishing up on doing the voice and then going down the road of trying to go down for, for Eurovision what was the timeline on that well the voice finished in I think it was around this could be wrong. November 2020. I think that is when it was. I'm not really, I'm not 100% on that. But I remember when it was over, I was expecting the phone did not stop ringing. I was expecting to be so busy. I know obviously I couldn't have done public appearances or anything, but I still expected. I didn't get one singing gig after that show. Wow. Not okay. one. None. And obviously at that stage, I had no repertoire of my own, no music. Nobody wanted to hear anything that I created. It was all very, it was actually a very sad time for me because I had, you know, I made all these like things up in my head that were going to happen. And when you do that, you nearly set yourself up for, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And I've learned to live now, <laughs> live life without these preconceptions. But yeah. it, made, it forced me into writing and that was probably the best thing now it was really hard the first year was really really hard after because I had to go and get a job in an estate agents and go back to 95 but I took a Wednesday off every week and I wrote music and that is the music that's coming out now so mm. I suppose it's it that's two years where I wasn't singing at all really and if I was singing, it was mass yeah. <laughs> like, at home. Like, I'm not even joking with you, but I know people still, I still have a lot of respect at home here from people because from the voice and then nobody really forgot it, but I was annoyed at myself and I knew that I was, I could have done more. And maybe if the, the climate with the pandemic was different, it would have been, it would have been different. It was mm. so hard for musicians. Like, I don't know how anybody else, did it but I, I struggled a lot yeah it's but that a, also comes out in the music yeah yeah it's been a big kind of thing we've spoken with we've many people and established artists uh that have obviously not been able to to work for for two years because of it all and unless you're an Ed Sheeran or someone like that then yeah it's really yeah. really tricky to, to to still get there and I think it's only really now a year later that things have been opened up that you're really starting to see kind of touring acts and the, the kind of industry starting to kind of rebuild itself a little bit it's, it must have been incredibly difficult to restart your career during that time yeah that's the thing I had no like no real established songs or music or like even performances to watch back like there was the voice the voice audition the voice sorry performances but that was it and 
you don't want to be like tied to a show forever. And mm. I think after Eurovision, I'm done with competing now. I really okay. want to know I've established everything I need to establish and shown all mm. aspects of myself and my abilities on these massive platforms. And now I feel like if I just release the music that I I've got, I've got fans now in different countries and mm. that has hope this will hopefully be the start of it now for me. Yeah. So the song that's rich that you did for, for Eurovision, uh, was that one of the first ones that you, you'd written for it? Was that the only one that you considered for the submission process? Or that tell us a little bit about how that whole piece came together. That's Rich was the first song that I ever wrote. So okay. that was, yeah, that was really cool. That was the first song like I'd actually sat down in a Zoom call with people in London that I had released the first song with. And um, we just sat down and I, I, I wanted to break up with the boy I was with at that time. But I also, I liked him as a friend too much. Right. And then okay. I was just, I was like, I want to write a song that's kind of funny but also has like serious undertones like behind it. So I was listening to, it was mommy's like big birthday at that time. And uh, we, it was her, she had a seventies or an eighties themed party. And I just got really hooked on Blondie. And I've seen her three times live, but I just really found this like new obsession for her after reading her autobiography as well. And just everything about Debbie Harry really. And I just thought this music still sounds so current, even though it's years old. Mm. So I was like, I want to write, a song that has 80s elements in it but also sounds new and current and would just so it catches you immediately like oh what's this like that uh, what's this song I've probably heard it before and then all of a sudden it like branches into something new so it was yeah. honestly just an experimental song for me I didn't think it was going to go anywhere because I loved it and I played it for everyone and they were like mm, don't get it don't get it <laughs> that's the thing it grows on you it oh, immediately it's like oh what the f- this is shit and then, and then you like listen to it and you get you really just get the fun behind it and yeah. that's all it's meant to do it's meant to be three minutes of an escape yeah and so obviously before going to Turin obviously being selected for for Ireland you then went around a, a kind of a European tour before the competition um how yeah. important do you think that is now in terms of kind of building up a fan base for the song even before the competition for me it wasn't about the fan base for me it was confidence Hmm. getting used to performing again getting used to because before the late late show I hadn't performed in two years I had not performed anywhere in two years and that was like the first step for me and I think on that show it was great to show the progression because that was a six by four stage tiny like really tiny and obviously the Eurovision stage is massive yeah and it was so good to show the like the actual progression that the song had made because everyone whenever they seen the late late they were like oh this is this is horrendous like this is this looks so cheap and so bad and and then obviously doing the the way I've described it to people is Primary school was the Late Late Show. And then I moved on to secondary school. That's when I was doing the European tour in London, Madrid, Barcelona, Tel Aviv, Amsterdam. It was, I think, I don't know, I think that was, I think that was it. And, um, and then obviously, then I graduated and it was just like, it just become its own, its own beast by the time it hit Eurovision. 
Yeah. Dogs. I know, sorry. It's the <laughs> yeah. advantage of uh, doing these from home, but I know. Um, but no, <laughs> I think for, for me, what attracted me to the song, uh, and you might have slightly different feelings about this as well, but how I, I feel semi final one for Eurovision wasn't as strong as semi final two. And yeah. some of the songs that got through to the grand final from semi final one couldn't compete with one of some of the ones that didn't get through from semi final two. I don't know how they worked that out in terms of what songs went into what semi-final, but I think you were really unlucky with the placings of those songs because I think if you'd have been in semi-final one, you'd have flown through to the grand final. Without, you know, disrespecting the other songs in semi-final one, I do think that I would agree with you because there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of ballads and slower music in semi-final one and mine would have really stood out um, if it had been there. I remember watching it um, in Italy and thinking, wow, like that would have been a, a great placement for my song if it had been in semi-final one. But yeah. at the same time, like these things happen for a reason. And to be up against the, the well, in my, 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 I preferred the songs in semi-final too. So to be up against those and to have stood out and people still remember the performance and people were outraged by it, that nearly meant more to me. It was more prestigious in a way. Obviously, it would have been brilliant to get to the final, but to hold my own against all those other countries was still pretty cool. Yeah, no, uh, I think it was yourself and I think the, the track from Malta, was it Pia Mia? That, like, they were the two kind of oh, yeah. real kind of big party songs that didn't get through. And I think the final would, would have benefited from that as well because there was a long period of slow song after slow song after slow there song. There was, yeah. It, 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 as a, a show, it kind of dragged a little bit in the middle, and then obviously Sam Ryder came on and won it all back, and the, the, the rest has uh, gone stratospheric for him. But I think yeah. for yourself, the kind of controversy of not getting through to the final potentially might actually work in your favour a little bit because people will remember you rather than just being another song from the final that, that didn't get there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I get that completely. I think there was a lot of men in the final as well, mm. like, compared to women. I don't know. It was just a very, it's a very tough competition. And I don't know what more I could have done. I don't think there was anything more I could have done. I definitely think Ireland has went up in people's estimations and maybe in the future, see what they send in next year. It's going to be a very interesting one to see where they go now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so... Moving on from from Eurovision, and obviously at the time you had there, you've then released uh, your latest track, Tongues. Now, talk to us a little bit about this as a song, and uh, is this the kind of direction that I think you you, you see yourself going in uh, musically? Well, this song was atmospheric for me. It was at a time when I had actually fallen in love for the first time, and I was all gooey and blah, 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 and all <laughs> And I wanted to write a song that really represented what I felt. This song feels like it's underwater. It's like the way I have, the way the tongue's description, like the, what that is in reference to is Christians speaking to God in tongues. It's, a, it's not like gibberish, but it's a really like only they can understand it. And it sounds like incoherent to someone else. And, and it's like nearly people feel like you would nearly, you don't need to apologize for this and you have your own love language with someone. And it's just a really, it's a really beautiful song, I think. I just think that it sounds really good on the radio and, and in your car. And 
I'm really proud of it because it shows off my voice. Like that's rich is more fun and, and entertaining, but tongues I get to actually, you know, immerse myself in the music completely and let and just stand still for a second. Magic. And what's next for you? Uh, have you got touring plans or where can people see see more of you? Yeah, I just did um, Glastonbury and I did Dublin and Vicker Street, which was like a, Vicker Street was a massive moment for me. It was something I've always dreamed, a gig I've been here, I've always dreamed of playing. I'm going to Madrid tomorrow and I'm doing Pride and doing three different performances there because nice. the Spanish market is one of my <laughs> biggest markets. I think it goes UK, Spain, then Ireland, which is interesting. Okay. Yeah, and then doing Cork Pride with Nadine Coyle, which nice. is so cool. I'm obsessed with her, so it'll be really cool. We texted each other over Eurovision, but um, I've never actually got to meet her, so it's gonna be really cool to meet her. That's and just exciting. yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna gig as much as I can because that is how you make your hmm. friend, your friends, your fans, and money. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, well, talk to us a bit about Glastonbury then, because obviously anyone that follows you on your your social media as you would have seen obviously you've been down there with obviously some of the massive acts that are there how does it mm-hmm. feel being almost on the kind of periphery of the, the kind of madness in terms of the, the, the kind of pyramid stage and your your, your superstars like uh, Paul McCartney and Billy Eilish being there um what's it like kind of being slightly kind of less heralded it's like I could not believe the amount of people that were there. I think there was like a quarter of a million people there. You're, oh God, I don't know how, like Glastonbury, if you haven't been, it's like anyone normal will walk through the gates and as soon as they walk through the gates, they leave whoever they were behind and they just become like the purest version of themselves. There's no judgment. I've never seen one fight out of all those people pushed together. Like i never seen one row. It was honestly just magical. And to get the opportunity to even perform there, like, I, oh, I don't know. Like, the the thing is, you never know who's watching. Hmm. You never know who's watching. And after I came off the stage, like, there was, like, wee kids and stuff coming over and getting photos. But there was, like, a couple that were like, we heard you on BBC Five Live. And, you know, like, it was just, like, linking. People were kind of putting, like, connecting the dots and that's just what it's all about. Like music, like like singing your music that you've written for people and seeing their reactions to it. There's nothing quite like it. And Glastonbury is, is a magical place where dreams do happen. <laughs> no, it looked, looked incredible. Um, I'm glad you, you, you had such a great time there. We're going to finish uh, this show with uh, playing of your new single, Tongues, to let everyone hear that. Um, but where will people find you if they've not came across you in terms of social media what's your mm-hmm. handle my handle is brooke and then scullion so i've got an e on the end brooke and then s-c-u-l-l-i-o-n and i'm everywhere on all the kinds of stuff i'm on instagram i'm on tiktok and i'm on youtube and i'm on all that stuff so yeah if you're not sick of me after listening to this you can find me there oh, brilliant <laughs> before we let you go brooke i just want to talk to you a little bit about your nickname and where that came from because <laughs> I think it, it's absolute genius. Is this Derry Lipa? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> where did that come from? I don't know. Twitter made it. Twitter, it went trending. So Rob was trending and Derry Lipa was trending after Eurovision. And it's obviously because I am from Derry and mm. 
I hope it's because I bear a striking resemblance to Dua herself. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's just the the performance and the music that I make, and maybe that I'm that I'm an aspiring pop star. But it is the coolest name ever, and I hope it never dies. Yeah, no, I think it's brilliant. Um, and again, it's just wee things like that that are probably that they'll kind of tr- travel with you. You think uh, oh, like yeah. Spice Girls look. Mel C will, will forever be Sporty Spice, even when she yeah. is in, in her 50s. So it's like yeah. such a, a kind of a great thing to kind of have. Just people will, just a, a wee kind of piece that people will, will kind of remember. And obviously, you mentioned earlier about being on Derry Girls. And obviously, that was such a big show that was. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's a big hit. Um, so, what do you think is it about Derry Girls that was, was so, so popular? You cut out for me there. Uh, <laughs> sorry. sorry, I'm saying, how did you get on to Derry Girls and what what is it about that show that really says where you're from? Oh, Derry Girls just blew up massive because it was so relatable and it really, really did like depict life at that time. Now, I wasn't born, but this is what people tell me. <laughs> Derry, Derry Girls was like... It just, it really, now when you tell people you're from Derry, they're like, oh, Derry girls, no matter where you are in the world. And I kind of was always doing extra work on it, but then I got one line and it was the cross community scene in season two. I think it's the first episode, I'm not sure. But they're like, Protestants love cleaning when they're trying to like make similarities and differences between the two religions. (laughs) And that was my one line. So claim the fame from that show. Absolutely. No, but thank you very much, Brooke. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, we wish you nothing but luck um, going forward with, with tongues and with anything else you do. If you ever come to Scotland, please uh, keep in touch. We'll, it'd be great to kind of see you perform over here as well. But um, I here, would love that. Absolutely. So here is Brooke and our latest single, Tongues. And we'll be back next month with another fantastic episode here of Quite the Music. We'll see you again.